Sojourn, it's good to see you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for gathering us together like this to enter into this season of prayer and fasting together. I pray that you would meet us in a particular way uh, in this season of Lent and that my words here would be helpful uh, in addition to all of the scriptures that we have read and will read, the songs that we've sung. Lord, I pray that you would help us enter united into this season together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening is Ash Wednesday, which begins the season of Lent, like Dodds explained earlier. And this is a communal season through which it is my prayer that God would unite us together as a church and also with churches around the world who are celebrating this season together. Uh, and that, that he would reveal himself in fresh ways to us. That he would work renewal in our hearts, both individually and collectively as a church. I remember the first time I fasted as a Christian um, was my sophomore year of college, and it was an Advent fast. We fasted for three days leading up to Christmas. We broke our fast at Waffle House on Christmas Eve at midnight, I think, after the candlelight service, which was an interesting way to do it. Um, and in my first experience with fasting, I didn't receive any instruction about what fasting was, other than my friend who said, take this time to fast, spend time in word and prayer, and draw near to God. That was the instruction that I was given. And as it turns out, that wasn't actually all that bad. That was the first time I'd gone without food for, I mean, a whole day. Forget, it was, I think, two and a half days at the end of it. But it was a powerful experience for me, even knowing little about what I was engaging in. Simply hearing the invitation to draw near to God in the word and prayer was a fruitful experience for me. With that said, I do want to take just a couple of minutes to give a couple of handholds for us as a community to enter in perhaps slightly more informed than I was that first time that I fasted. I've got, my uh, goal for this time is to essentially answer three questions, give initial answers to three questions. Why we pray and fast, what might we pray and fast about, and how do we pray and fast? So the why, the what, and the how of Lent. And so I'll give kind of initial answers to those questions for us, that's our goal this evening. So to begin with, why do we set aside time year after year in the season of Lent for fasting and prayer as a church? Well, in many ways, this answer has already been, or this, this question has already been answered by the scriptures that Dodds read. Uh, fasting is a rich, richly biblical picture. It's prominent throughout the whole story of the Bible. But to point out a couple of key examples, if you look, consider the, the pages of the New Testament, the book of Luke, the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are two books written by the disciple Luke, and it's the reason I point those two things out. There's many examples in the New Testament of the church fasting, but it seems as though Luke, when he constructed these two books, was particularly interested in all of the stories he heard about Jesus praying and fasting and about the church praying and fasting. Um, in the book of Luke, Luke includes for us a number of details regarding the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus was a man devoted to prayer, the Son of God himself, who was baptized and filled with the Spirit, devoted himself to prayer over and over again. When he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, we're told that this comes at the end of a 40-day period of prayer and fasting. When Jesus chooses the 12 apostles, he does this after devoting a whole night to prayer. Right before Jesus prompts Peter to confess that he is the Christ, Jesus has come out of an extended time of prayer. There's other examples. To read one particularly helpful example, I think, near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Luke 5, we read this. 
But now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's interesting, I think, that at the time when Jesus was most needed and most sought after, I should say, is the time that he decided that it was time for me to go away and pray. Uh, It reminds me of a quote you may have heard from Martin Luther, the man who kicked off the spark that ignited the Protestant Reformation, who was reported to once have said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. I have so much to do that I can't get by without at least three hours of prayer. So counterintuitive to us because we tend to think, I have so much to do, let me do all of the stuff and then pray Thanksgiving afterwards. But both in Jesus' life and in the life of so many faithful saints who've gone before us, there is a particular importance to living a life devoted to prayer, the focused prayer. In the book of Acts, we could again look at so many examples looking past the ministry of Jesus to how the early church engaged in prayer and fasting. The moment Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples gathered in the upper room and devoted themselves to prayer. And it was there that the Holy Spirit fell on them in the days of Pentecost. Fast forward to Acts chapter 13, when two significant leaders in the early church went off to embark on a new church planting mission, the way that the, the time that the Lord drew near to them to tell them, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry, it was while the leaders were praying and fasting. There's so many examples we could give in the Bible of times that prayer and fasting went hand in hand. It, in the book of Acts, nearly every significant move of the Spirit happened either during or immediately following a time of devoted prayer with a couple of the significant ones being paired also with fasting. One of the reasons the early church saw fasting as a valuable way to draw near to God is because Jesus himself taught it in his ministry. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees who noticed that he and his disciples weren't fasting like the rest of the Jewish community, Jesus has an interesting answer. The Pharisees said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus' response to them was, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. So there's a lot going on in that passage. Jesus foretells his death, but what we see is that Jesus sees fasting as an important part of the life of the Christians once he's taken up into heaven. Historically speaking, we know that fasting became a regular weekly practice in the days of the early church, according to some of the earliest documents we have. To speak of Lent specifically, Lent is a season preparing for Easter, which in the first few centuries was probably a few days leading up to Easter. But by the time we get to the fourth century, we see that the early church was using 40 days as a period of fasting, uh, the fourth century. So the 300s AD, the uh, canons of Nicaea is the first place we see different from the same council that brought out the Nicene Creed, but they, they released a couple of other writings, and in there, there was a 40-day period of fasting uh, leading up to the celebration of Easter. Um, and if you do the math, it's not actually 40 days from today till Easter. There's 46 days between today and Easter because from the earliest days, it was seen as inappropriate for Christians to fast on the day of the resurrection, which is Sunday. And so Sundays through, throughout the season of Lent are breaks from fasting historically. And so, historically speaking, we see that the church interpreted the words of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, to be involved in prayer and fasting. Um, It's richly included through the whole of Scripture, and so that's why we fast. 
why we think it's important to set aside time for fasting, because it's biblical, it's historic, and it's a joy to get to do it together. And so the second question is, what might we focus on in this time of fasting and prayer? So the Bible really gives three main fo foci, focuses of fasting. Foci, foci. I actually never, not important. The first <laughs> focus of repentance is inward, uh, focused on repentance. So fasting can be devoted towards an inward look at repentance. You might think of the people of Nineveh fasting in response to the words of the prophet Jonah. Or the people in the days of Nehemiah who return to worship the Lord and repent of wandering from him. And they do so with fasting. A scripture that Dodge just read that we have read at times during confession, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. So the Bible gives a precedent for the fact that fasting, self-denial, going without something, has a way of turning up our spiritual sensitivities and providing valuable soil in our hearts for repentance towards God. The second thing that we might focus on, if the first is inward, the second is outward. This comes in terms of lament or mourning. Over and over again, we see in the Bible uh, examples of people fasting when paired with mourning. Uh, David and his men fast in mourning for Saul and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. In the book of Esther, there's great mourning and fasting in response to Haman's edict to exterminate the Jewish people. In Psalm 69, David, when being treated unjustly, fasts and mourns um, in the face of this injustice. So while sometimes the sadness and suffering we endure is on account of our own sin and is a cause for repentance, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we suffer on account of the sins of others, such as injustice or suffering injury. Or sometimes it's on account of just living life in a world that's marked by sin, such as enduring sickness or loss or natural disaster. I would say that lament is probably an area that we struggle with in our culture. Um, lament is such an important part of emotion, emotional maturity because the most common alternative to mourning and lament when you're faced with something that is sad is avoidance. We're very good at avoiding engaging with feeling sad. This is why instead of funerals, we have celebrations of life. This is why in instead of engaging with disappointment, we're constantly told, but look at how great it's going to be tomorrow. We avoid feelings of sadness, and I think this is probably tied to why so many people today are so cynical. Because if you don't engage with sadness, then your heart becomes not wiser, but more numb to feeling. And it becomes less easy to hope for things because you think I might as well not feel anticipatory about anything. And so I think often cynicism is a signpost that points us to a struggle with lament. Jesus himself wept at the loss of Lazarus, his friend. Even when he had the hope, he knew that he was about to raise him from the dead. And yet he entered into, he didn't just acknowledge that it was sad, but he felt the sadness. So fasting may be an important way for us to be invited into a time of lament. And then third, so if the first is inward, second is outward, repentance, lament. And then the third way is looking forward. And this is common in the Bible. When you ask for God's favor, you ask for his guidance or his provision in some way. Um, Esther, again, back in the book of Esther, in the face of Haman's edict, she decides to go into the king and she asks her people to fast on her behalf, to seek the Lord's favor. 
and her blessing. Um, we see King Darius, so a, for, a, a pagan emperor, fasts for Daniel's deliverance from the lions in the book of Daniel. Second um, Chronicles 20, uh, with a bunch of people coming against Israel, King Jehoshaphat sought the Lord and proclaimed a fast, saying, we know not what to do, but our eyes are on you, pleading with the Lord. And so in addition to an inward focus on repentance and outward focus on lament, there's also an aspect of fasting that could be focused on forward-looking things. God, what would you have me do? God, how are you going to provide for me in this situation? And all three of these things, whether you're focused on repentance in fasting, whether you're focused on lament for something that is grievous or painful, whether you're looking forward and asking for guidance and provision in whatever endeavor you're looking at, all of these points us towards God. Remembering that as people we are rooted in our need for God, for his help, for his presence. Which brings me to the third question, how do we fast? Really, so we've looked at why we fast. It's biblical and historical. We look at how we fast. Could be inward, could be outward, could be forward. Now, how do we do it? Very practically, there's a twofold process to fasting. Turning from and turning towards. Fasting involves self-denial of some form. So this could be giving up food or certain types of food. Could be giving up a certain type of beverage. Could be uh, giving up social media or other distractions. It's basically looking at good things in your life that may be grabbing a little bit too close of a hold on you, or maybe that going without could provide some soil in your heart for God to do some special work. Self-denial is a way of pursuing Christ, who modeled for us perfect self-denial in taking the cross on our behalf. So the first thing that you do when you fast is you choose something to deny yourself of. And this is not... You know, this is not choosing a sinful thing in which you're engaging and deciding not to sin anymore. That's a different process in a different sermon. This is choosing something good in your life that you choose to go without for a time. And then secondly, it doesn't stop with just going without. It goes with drawing near. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Fasting is not just about giving something up, but about drawing near to God. If you're giving up a meal... Consider replacing that with a time of reading scripture or a prayer. Exchange the food menu with a prayer menu. Who am I going to pray for in this time? If you're giving up a form of entertainment or distraction, what will you use that time for in order to draw near to God? So that you don't just find a different type of entertainment to fill that time with. And this second aspect of how we fast is what makes fasting distinctly Christian, because in our society there's no shortage of people who fast, who give things up, perhaps the way that the hypocrites did, um, fasting before others, going without and saying, look at what I'm going without. A Godward focus is what makes Lent a distinctly Christian practice. In the Old Testament, fasting was abused, it became externalized as an empty ritual, that's why the prophets repeatedly rebuked the nation of Israel. God looks at them and says, I will not hear your words. I don't care that you're fasting. In Jeremiah chapter 14, God says, though they fast, I will not hear their cry. It's because they had done their externals. They, had, they were focused only on impressing one another. And their eyes weren't focused on God. Because of this, Jesus teaches in the passage that Dodds just read before I got up here. He teaches us not to do fast or pray or give before men 
to be seen, but to do so with a heart inclined towards God. Jesus instructs his disciples to ensure that their fasting is Godward focused, not focused on others. This doesn't mean that sharing about your fasting is against the rules. This doesn't mean that sharing with your spouse or with your parish what you're giving up and asking them to pray for you is against the rules by any means. The focus of Jesus' rebuke in that passage is the line, they have received their reward. The Pharisees' problem was not that they were telling anyone about it, it was that they were doing it for other people to see. So if you find yourself tempted to do things for other people to see, then perhaps you could keep it to yourself. But that's not necessarily a breaking of the rules if you tell and invite people. And in fact, a communal fast, which is what we're engaging in right now, can be a wonderful thing to engage as we pray for one another that God would work for renewal in our hearts as we go through this season. And so that is the why, the what, and the how of fasting. Why do we do it? It's biblical, historical. What might we focus on? We might focus on repentance, on lament, or on provision guidance, God's favor. And then how do we do it? We pick something to give up and we choose how to replace that with a Godward focus. And so to come to a close, I want to invite you, each of you, to join us in this season of Lent. How might God be considering you, or how might God be inviting you to engage in a time of intentional repentance? How might God be inviting you to consider areas of sadness that you've avoided to engage a time of lament? in things that happen that are truly sad? How might God be inviting you to ask for his provision and favor rather than trying to live self-sufficiently? And all of this, how might God use all of those things in your hearts and life to draw your eyes to him more so than they are right now? And as we engage together, I pray that this communal engagement of the imposition of ashes and encouragement that this is not just something that you're doing alone to earn favor with God, but this is something that we are doing as a community to invite God to work in our hearts and in our midst as we seek to draw near to him, to one another, for the sake of what he's called us to do. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the many examples that we see in the Bible regarding fasting. Thank you for every brother, sister, man, woman, child in this room and for all of the experiences that you've given us. Some of us have a lot of experience with fasting, and some of us may have zero experience with fasting. I pray that for each of us, Lord, you would reveal what it is that you would have us to give up, to go without in this season of Lent. I pray that you would direct our hearts not towards what could we give up that would be impressive to others, but what could we give up that might provide soil in our hearts to draw, that you could till, that you could work in. So I pray for wisdom. And then I also pray, Lord, that whatever we give up, that you would help us to replace that with pursuit of you. Pray that you show each of us what is the next step in following you. Thank you for this season. I pray for a meaningful engagement uh, and we entrust the outcome of all of this to you. And thank you that you have us in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.